Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 203. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I am very excited to be bringing you a conversation with an art therapist who has written, among other things, a book about vicarious trauma using art to illustrate the book. My guest today is Rebecca Bloom. Let's just dive right into our conversation. Enjoy. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC, and I'm really, really excited to be interviewing a guest who has a fascinating subject to talk about. My guest today is Rebecca Bloom. Rebecca, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. It's excellent to be here. Excellent for me as well. (laughs) And you are an LMHC and ATRBC, an art therapist. Mm -hmm. And can you just start off by telling our audience a bit about yourself and your work? Sure. So I am a art therapist. I'm also trained in uh, sensory motor psychotherapy, uh, body-based way, processing trauma. And I am here in South Seattle. I work mostly with adults addressing complex trauma. So I integrate the art and the body-based work and the talking. Um, I also have a nine-pound rescue chihuahua in the office that changes, makes every day better. And here today I'm also going to be talking about I specialize in seeing therapists so I work a lot with vicarious trauma secondary trauma and burnout with folks wonderful and that is really what prompted us to be talking which is that you have a book called vicarious trauma illustrated and I'm really eager to talk with you about that it was a labor of love (laughs) 
<laughs> it consumed me for a while there. So I'm glad it's out. I bet. I mean, I'm sure writing a book is a labor of love, but working through vicarious trauma is also a labor of love. Yeah, I got interested in the subject. I was teaching actually in a graduate program, and it was my first year. And uh, a student that I just thought was going to be a great therapist let me know that she worked one day in the field and she quit her job. And she was already so burnt out by working just her 20-hour-a-week internship that she couldn't do it anymore. And it began kind of the last, I don't know, 15 years of me looking into the subject and gathering information and trying to figure out what is this thing? How does, how do we deal with how impactful the work is and how do we find more and more ways to process it? You know, beyond like take a bath and watch a movie, how do we mm -hmm. actually process the content of the experience? Yeah. And oh my gosh, I mean, that example that you just gave about the new therapist doing one day in the field and, and moving on is so poignant because I often say that um, many of us are burned out before we even finish grad school because the process of grad school itself can be so traumatizing and not always as supportive as it should be. And, and what happens in our internships and how we start out so, so new, so wet behind the ears and then, you know, really get thrust into right in the nitty gritty without necessarily the internal resources we need to be able or external resources we need to be able to take care of ourselves and even know what we need to take care of. And I have to say, I need to just point something out. I think you're one of the, I know there's one other person I've interviewed besides Pat Ogden, who is trained in sensory motor psychotherapy. And I just love that you are, I didn't realize that about you. So because I am too. I've only done up through level two, but. Me too. Yeah. And that's a beautiful synchronicity, I think. Yeah. It really changed the way I worked and slowed down the way I worked. Um, and actually, so the book is bro broken up into five sections. And the last section is how mindfulness or sensory motor basically sees vicarious trauma and how to address it. I got to read that one, but um, <laughs> I want to read the whole book. And just even the photo of the cover that's on the website really brought up, you know, like for me, like a craving of wanting to read it. Well, so the book is mostly illustrated. It's I wanted to write a graphic novel, but it, I ended up painting the book. And so I was doing all this process watercolors. So for folks that don't know what that is, I don't sketch out what I'm going to do before I just get the paper really wet and paint and paint and paint and wipe off and paint again until something reveals itself. And so the imagery in the book is very raw. Um, and I painted things I've never painted before. But definitely that experience of being fractured and trying to find grounding but knowing I'm not my whole self is a big part of my understanding of how I experience vicarious trauma, which is that, you know, sometimes just what I call substance abuse of counselor robot, which is like I'm just functioning on my kind of bare basics to get through the day. And what kind of work do I need to go to to get back on my best game? Mm, wow. Okay. So let's just, since um, many people listening, you know, if people have listened to this podcast very since the very beginning, 
I talk about vicarious trauma and all the time. I talk about it a lot and I've had many episodes on it, but we've never really talked about how therapists can use and other helping professionals can use expressive arts techniques to process the impact of the trauma that we're exposed to and what it, I would say, and what it taps into for us of our own trauma history and our own attachment wounds. We've never talked about that. And I I think it's really fascinating. But for anybody who's missed those past episodes, let's just start out with a little brief explanation of really what vicarious trauma is, if you would. So vicarious trauma is when the counselor begins to experience the same symptoms as trauma as their clients. So they might not be able to sleep at night, or they might have literally flashbacks of what the client said, or intrusive thoughts. Often, most often what happens to therapists is they stop socializing, reaching out. They start to really isolate, just trying to cope. So those are really what folks report the most to me. And it comes, you know, some people call it secondary trauma. Some people call it burnout. Compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. It has these different titles. But basically what we're talking about is when, you know, you're doing the work and you're doing the work because you care, but you've just, you find that your drive is just gone. And how to really get back you know, how to clean up your side of the street so that you're ready to keep going with the work and find yourself grounded again. Yeah. And I think often we don't even know how ungrounded we can become, you know, like that's part of the impact of trauma is it just can sneak up on you and you don't even realize it's happening. So it's got to be an intentional process to prevent it from taking us out. Yeah, I was watching a series of videos. Um, So one of the people that I really focused on in my book is a narrative therapy technique by Dr. Perlman and Dr. Uh, Savinti. This book came out in 1992. I have that book. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I was watching a video with Dr. Perlman, and she was just talking about how this is an ongoing process. It's not like you do this once. And then you don't do it again. You know, you come back to it again and again. As you hit different developmental stages, as you learn a new theory, you probably are dealing with vicarious trauma through a whole different lens. Um, As you, you know, deal with different types of clients, as you have tragedies in your own life, you know, it's just, it's just a kind of an ongoing maintenance. If you think about your car needing gas in the engine, like this is another to think about that. We're just keeping the car running. Right. And then you have to repair the brakes. (laughs) All the things you do for maintenance, they're not, it's not you do it and you don't have to do it again. It's continuous. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that the statistics I've learned that's so interesting is cofactors in why people are experienced vicarious trauma. The people that experience the most have very high caseloads or very traumatized clients, no surprise there, or they have a history of trauma themselves. And then actually the things that help the most are things that are so are getting harder and harder to find, which is a supportive work environment and a support from your extended community at home. So that really, you know, the things that we've always needed, but in this high tech age are harder to get, you know, are the things that 
that helps them most. It seems so simple. Go out and talk to a friend, even if you don't feel like you have the energy to do it. And that's actually the thing that's going to help the most. Yeah. And I think the more overworked you are, the harder it is to work on cultivating and nurturing your supportive relationships. And so that when you need support, it's not just like, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or let's go out for a girl's night out or something like that. But it's more like, no, really, how are you? Like, I know you were talking last, last time we talked about this is going on in your life and that's going on in your life and you look tired. Like, how can I help you? What do you need? You know, that deeper level, which is, it takes more work, of course. Right. Right. And it can feel exhausting. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways I deal with it in the book is I have a series of prompts and I go through and it follows my own progression as a therapist. So there's a section on psychoanalytic a section on Jungian, a section on feminist, a section on narrative, and a section on mindfulness. So an example would be how to process it through a Jungian lens would be what's your experience as a rescuer and what's your experience as a professional? So kind of setting up that dynamic and giving people to explore both. And sometimes we bounce around, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's really interesting to see what happens. So some people draw that. Some people use it as a writing prompt. Some people just do a list. Um, so I just did a CEU on Tuesday on this topic. And this woman was, everybody was kind of shouting out their experience. And somebody said, you know, the professional, that sometimes we hide behind our professional identities. And that's. Mm-hmm that can be a negative way of coping too, you know, when we're too much in the expert role. So both of these, in a, you know, in a Jungian perspective, there's negative and positives to kind of both of these archetypes that are really present in the field. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years, and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. As an aside, I am so curious about the way Jungian theory and Jungian work seems to really overlay so well with art therapy. And, um, you know, I think the average person and even therapists who are not art therapists aren't aware of how interconnected those two seem to be. I have an art therapist who works in my practice, and she was saying that in her program, it was very heavily based in Jungian work. Well, art therapists love Jung Mm -hmm. because... And first off, I don't know if people know, but he was an artist himself. And there's a beautiful large format book that's out of his mandalas and his illustrating his dreams. 
And so mm. he, you know, we love him because he was actually doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually making art as part of his own process. But these ideas of, you know, collective symbols that show up across time and, you know, art process or what a lot of people are calling flow these days, you know, steps into what he was talking about, about the collective unconscious, um, that you're stepping into something larger than yourself and something unexpected is coming out. You know, these are all things that Jung loved. And he also was loved the, you know, our shadow self and our kind of blinding perfect self to show up together. And so often in clients' artwork, that's what happens, is that those two contradicting realities can show up together. So interesting. It's my favorite. Yeah. I really want to understand more about that. I feel like that's a direction that I need to go, but it's like very involved, right? Well, there's some easy ways to study. One of it is uh, Mari, the Mari test. Do you know about that? Mm -mm. Which is a mandala study practice. And there's a, it breaks down the 12 stages of life that people are often in. Um, and you use line, shape, and color to kind of explore those things. There's a card test aspect. So for people who, you know, just have a little bit of time but really want to delve into it, um, Mari is a wonderful way to explore that. I'm trained in level one. Oh, and my, that, I've never and, even heard of this, Rebecca. What? No. What? And how is it spelled? M-A-R-I? Yeah. Mari Assessment Research Institute. So... And you'll see in the book, many of my images are mandalas. A mandala is any image in a circle. And art therapists love mandalas. Mm -hmm. um, the idea is that the circle can hold anything. And, you know, the, we are surrounded in our most natural form. We're on a giant circle, right? Our eyes are circle. Our faces are circle. So if you're into attachment work, you know, the best thing you can do is look into a circle with two eyes in it and feel attached. <laughs> like, this is, mm hmm even the fetal position is almost like a circle. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, nature isn't linear, but it is circular. So, yeah, these, you know, this, it's an incredibly holding form. And as an art therapist, and many art therapists, if you ask them, what's your self-care modality, they'll say, well, I do mandalas. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, yeah, it's an art form that, you know, I return to over and over and over again. Mm. Wow. You're inspiring me very deeply right now. Go do a mandala. <laughs> I think I will. Um, so how, so you mentioned that the book has prompts. How do you see this book being used by therapists? Is it if you are experiencing vicarious trauma or is it just a way to process, you know, ongoing, even if you don't have, you don't feel that there's an impact. I mean, we're all exposed to trauma right. by virtue of our work. Yeah. I mean, I could see these prompts being used at any time. And most of them were developed when I was teaching. And I would just make the students do them because mm -hmm. um, I was teaching in art therapy. And so we could make art at any time. So, I've, you know, I tested them all out on my students and they seemed to be impactful no matter where people were in the experience. But, you know, some of them are well-known in other formats. Like if you've done any somatic work, you've probably done that exercise where you, you know, figured out how big your bubble is, right? Is mm -hmm. it close to you? Is it far away? You know, you glide out that piece of rope and created the bubble. 
And one of my very simple directives is just draw that bubble. Get to know it in another medium. Um, and then that seems really small, but it's been really impactful for people. You know, it's things that we can say in our imagination, but we can't physically manifest. Like my bubble, my bubble is looks like a dragon egg. I'm sure because I just watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, my bubble is aqua, and that's one of my favorite colors. But my bubble also has scales, and isn't that interesting? Mm. Um, and then I ask the famous sensory motor questions, you know, what color is it? What temperature is it? How does it taste? What's it smell? Like, and when you have an image, that's really different than, you know, you've made the bubble, but now you're just talking about it as opposed to, you know, such a gestalt experience, like having the empty chair, like now you have this image and it's really there and everyone can see it and it lasts as long as you want it to last. And that is a really concretizing experience for folks yeah it sounds containing somehow too yeah and then it's out of you which is another part of the art is that you know often especially with trauma with us feeling traumatized by the work there's some shame in that mm -hmm. as janina fisher says you know trauma is a shame disease <laughs> um, that having a picture and having it either just self-witnessed or witnessed by someone else can be very healing. It's not just a story in your head. You know, someone else can tolerate looking at it and, you know, nothing broke. <laughs> like we're all still here. And then in the art therapy setting, you know, I've had clients destroy their artwork. I offer to hold it in a confidential file for them, or maybe they choose to take it home and share it with someone in their lives to say, like, this is the bubble I need to manifest, you know, like that can be a really empowering experience. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, the bubble in sensory motor training, you know, you're kind of thinking about like personal space boundaries, but then there's the other concept of like an energy work, like energetic boundaries and encasing yourself in a bubble that protects you, you know, in terms of like from taking in anything that isn't yours, you know, taking it in and like having it glued to you instead of taking it, being with and witnessing and being present to without internalizing it. Yeah. And um, I see that's the number one thing people report is how can this work not stick to me? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how can I get it back on the outside of my body something has happened it's like sunken into me and now every time I you know drive by a blue house I get anxious because that's where something bad you know that's what the client described to me and so we're trying to get it out so that it's not in your psyche it's just something you've heard it's not something you need to hold anymore it's not something you're responsible for Right. It's not your traumatic experience. It's something that someone you care about experienced and you can hold without it being yours. Think of our new therapists, but for all of us, but for new therapists, as I'm supervising interns and I'm in grad school and I'm watching the way their therapist self, counselor self is developing and, you know, that navigating how do you be present and be with the person who's sitting in the room who's had this experience that 
it's a painful thing to hear about. How do you stay with them without checking out, you know, because it's tapping into something painful inside you and not take it on? I mean, it's really not that long ago I was in school. I graduated in 2010, so that's nine years ago. But just thinking about how you navigate that, because for me, I thought it meant just don't don't have feelings about what they were going through, but still be empathic. And now I realize that, you know, I don't know. It's like being attuned, but somehow not losing connection with who you are and your own experience and, and like your role and being in the space, not getting sucked into the trauma like a vortex. <laughs> right. And that's actually where the Judith Herman work comes in. So, um, Trauma and recovery. Yeah, trauma recovery. So, and just so everybody knows, she basically pioneered the work of of the trauma work that we're all doing. She was early in her career as a doctor, and she found that when she got women alone in the room, they would tell these horrible stories of sexual abuse. But when she went through the literature, she saw nothing on that. And so she began to research it herself and published several books. But the idea that you could heal from trauma was something that she really brought to us. And she did the three-stage model of establishing safety, mm-hmm. remembering and mourning and connecting. Um, but she really believes that we need to trust that our clients can heal. Like she really... Mm-hmm gives it right back to the client. They've made it this far. And so actually the inner, the image that's on the cover of the book, the prompt that goes with it is create an image of your client healing from the outside in or the inside out. It's up to you. Um, But this idea that they can really do it. That's so funny in a way that you're saying that because first of all, it needs to be said that we can be kind of patriarchal or paternalistic towards our clients. Like you need me to help you because you need help, you know, rather than the two equals who both have had experiences and one person just has some, you know, additional knowledge that can help the other person to access what's internally already there, their inner healing, you know, ability that they may have gotten disconnected from. But also the the old way of thinking about trauma and PTSD was it's permanent. Right. You don't heal. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I mean, look at Oprah. Look, there's someone who's fully manifested in her life, acknowledging her trauma experience. You know, like, I mean, there are so many people out there they know what they've been through and they're able to reconnect to the world and, you know, be compassionate, amazing leaders to the world because they're honest about their experience and they don't have any ghosts in their closet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the most authentic way to be, to show up with your clients, patients, the people you work with who to be, to acknowledge that most of, I think all of us who are in the helping professions in some way are quote unquote wounded healers that we otherwise 
it wouldn't we wouldn't care so much about wanting to help people you know mm -hmm. and i think that's that's there's nothing wrong with that that's good <laughs> because it's it's just that you know it's a shared human experience that we we go through painful things and i don't know it appears that it's not really possible to get through life without any traumatic experiences happening but then where do you where do you go from there yeah yeah and you know now we have so many models of trauma treatment which is amazing and it's just for me i've really seen it's just about keeping clinicians knowing that they have to keep processing their experience so that you know stuff doesn't get built up and stuck right and then we end up leaving the profession great or just being really robotic in what we do offer sure or even doing harm because we're so disconnected that we don't even that we're almost dissociating through the work which is just an extension of being robotic but to a further extreme, I think. Rebecca, I want to ask you, we don't have much time left to talk, but I want to ask you something about using your book. For readers of your book, is there anything that they need to be aware of in terms of how viewing the images that you've made could bring up some unresolved stuff for for them because I know art can be so evocative in that way. Yeah. So lucky for me, I live in Seattle. And so this book has been viewed by countless therapists <laughs> in its production stage. I, you know, called in all my friends. And, you know, many people said to me, like, this book is provocative. It's evocative. Mm -hmm. But it's not, I, for me personally, and for all the people I checked it over with, Many images are hopeful or I hope reflect you an experience you already know you've had. Mm. Um, there's many hopeful images. I think kind of only in the narrative section do things get a little bit evocative. Like if you have a fear of spiders, there's two black widow spiders. In okay. uh, Fair warning, everyone. <laughs> But hopefully you will just see yourself reflected. When I was in college, I came out, uh, I was involved in the radical movement and we were making zines all the time. And a friend of mine joked with me, like, you just made a really expensive zine. That's what <laughs> you just did. And so in that way that like zines are like reflective of your personal experience and like push you to think about things, but you know, aren't there to harm anybody, uh, are really just there to educate. That's what I think I've created here. It's just a really expensive scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and provocative and evocative, it evokes and provokes probably emotion, which is not a bad thing. I just, the reason I asked is because I know my, my art therapist colleague, the one who I works in my practice has talked about how, you know, what's in the art, just, you know, in art that's process related can really tap into things at times. And I didn't know how you, and now you've explained how you um, sort of vetted what's in your book to make sure that it wasn't too evocative. Yeah. 
And, you know, I also, I live in Seattle, probably one of the most liberal areas in the country. And so images that I feel completely comfortable making, you know, for people who have not been exposed to art or not been exposed to feminist art, some of these images, they might have never seen anything like them. Like one of the things that came out is an um, I did my own version of the American flag, which is a kind of a typical thing that artists do. I realized I've never done one before, but it's a pretty evocative image of a naked woman who looks like she's been through some stuff standing in front of the American flag. So it's no joke. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm working through my stuff here. But I think if you've worked in the therapy field or the nursing field, this image would not shock you. You already know that women have no voice in this system. You know, like it's, it's nothing that you don't already know. Maybe you've never seen it on the page before, and maybe you didn't know you could create something like that. I didn't know I could create half of this stuff. But, you know, it's, it's, it's already there. It's just what is it like to see it visualized? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get a few copies of this right away so I can share it with my staff because we're always talking about vicarious trauma. And I would love to talk with you again in the future and maybe go a little bit in depth and about a little bit more in depth about some of the things that you, you do in the book and all of your work, if you're willing. That would be great. I mean, this is, I feel like this is my life work. You know, when you hit on your life's work and you're like, Oh, look, this is what I'll be doing till the end. Nice. Um, That's how I feel about this. Mm. Well, where can people find you and what you do? Where can yeah. I get get a little more Rebecca Bloom? Because <laughs> everybody needs more. Yeah. So uh, my website is bloomcounseling.com because there's lots of Rebecca Blooms out there, but that's another story. And I've got, if you want to hear more of me podcasting, there's a kind of a podcast section. Uh, there's a link to this book. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it through the publisher, Book Locker. Um, if you run into me in Seattle, I'll probably be carrying one and you can probably buy one off me on the street, <laughs> which has actually happened. I sold one at a bar recently. Nice. And then if you, I, I, my favorite form of social media is Instagram. I'm a, I'm R text T E X T. And, um, I photograph my therapy animals and, um, some other stuff. And I post a lot about trauma. So I do have a Facebook page. It's called square the circle workbook, which is the first book that I came out with, which is all art therapy prompts. And it's, it's people love that book. So, Oh, great. Yeah. Well, good. I didn't even know about that one. I'll definitely link to all of this in the show notes so people can find it easily and everything else you mentioned. And we'll get back together and bring bring our listeners more of you i'd love to do that that would be fantastic thanks so much for listening to my interview with rebecca bloom and we were talking about carl jung quite a bit i thought that was very interesting and i want to let you know that i'm going to be sharing with you next time an interview with three Jungian analysts, the three hosts of this Jungian Life podcast and very dear people. So stay tuned for that next time. And as always, thanks for your support of Therapy Chat. 
Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.